0: And now, a word from our sponsor, Agorapulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agorapulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash irishtechnews to get one month free now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours
1: hi everybody welcome to the irish tech news podcast this is your host jamil hassan i am delighted today to introduce a special guest johnny fry who is the chief executive officer at team blockchain welcome johnny to the show thanks, Janeelle. nice to nice to be on the um on the show, and uh, thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. So I'll uh, we'll kick things off and I'll first ask you, what is your background and how does it relate to what you do now at Team Blockchain?
2: Okay, So most of my working life, I've actually um, been involved in the um, financial services sector, managing mutual funds. Um I set up a mutual fund company. Um, literally from my bedroom back in the late 80s and then went on and floated that company on the London Stock Exchange, a uh, company uh, it's called Premier Asset Management and it still trades today as Premier Mighton. Um, but it's managing pension funds, mutual funds um, for individuals and, and corporations. Um, so yeah, so always been involved in the regulated space. Um, I'm still actually chairman of a fund administration business based out of dublin a company called gemini capital management and that does the administration for about 10 different fund managers from the states europe asia australia so we're doing the compliance administration so still very much involved in the fund management scene Um, and it was it was the it was looking at how blockchain technology could try and make um the financial service sector a little bit more efficient because There's lots and lots of layers intermediaries when you're managing someone's funds and um, i was very interested how you could actually use the technology and indeed create digital versions of these funds to actually reduce the costs and make it much much more transparent so that was kind of how i got involved in um this sector and that's why we treat what we do and the analysis that we create as if it's a compliant document um, so we verify all the information with hyperlinks and referencing what we do as, it, as if we were regulated. But Team Blockchain itself isn't, isn't regulated as a company.
1: Great. So one of the things that you do at Team Blockchain is you create a weekly report called Digital Bytes. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And what, what inspired you to create digital uh, and maintain Digital Bytes?
2: Well, um, literally three years ago uh, in March, um, we were doing, um, we been asked to do some research and some work for a, a large firm of lawyers. And at the end of the meeting with their client, um, they actually said, well, how do you remember all these statistics that you were quoting? And we said, well, we write it down. And they said, well, can we see your notes? And we show them our laptop. And they said, why have you got these blue um, words and some of the rest in black? And we said, well, the blue is all hyperlinked. Um, and they said why hyperlink things we said well simply because if your client comes back to you you know you've just paid us for um, for our time because you wanted us to present to your client and give some independent information if they turn around and say well how do you know you know paypal is nearly three times the size of goldman sachs well we can point to an article in the wall street journal or cnbc or, or some independent publication to prove that and they said oh that's really helpful can we have a copy and we said well, yeah you can have a copy of this they said well, what else have you got me showed them said, can we have a copy of that and we said no you've got to pay for it and they said well how often do you do it and I said well we basically do this once a week um, and they said well can we have a copy on a weekly basis of your analysis of what you're doing um, and that sort of led us to the thought well why don't we actually sort of commercialize this and start offering it out to accountants lawyers corporate brokers business schools universities organizations to say well look what's going on in the blockchain and digital asset sectors so how why and where is the technology and these assets being used um, but what it's not meant to be it's not meant to be a newsletter and it's not meant to be promoting any particular service or product it's meant to be sort of thought-provoking analysis and, and the ideas come from you know years in the sort of you know getting sort of um, analysis on funds or or, or equities And we were trying to recreate the same thing but give you a sort of a a 15 minute once a week overview of some of the things that are happening on a global basis so we look at things happening in paris maybe in korea maybe in japan maybe in the the states um, and in different sectors so it's financial services it may be the entertainment industry maybe uh, media fashion retail so we're trying to really show this is what your competitors are doing are you ready And what would you do and how if people start asking you questions about what's going on in the marketplace, you've got some concrete examples. And then what happens is that people actually then subscribe to that to have a license to use the content and then they repurpose it and send it on to their clients, um, either on a weekly or a monthly basis or they use some of the articles for LinkedIn postings or social messaging, social media sites and things like that. So they've got independent analysis that they can then send to their clients and stuff
1: it's one of the things that people don't realize is how global you know blockchain technology oh, is it's incredibly good
2: and how quickly it's changing now this this takes about 20 hours a week to produce so 20 hours a week we're, we're looking at all sorts of articles um you know that's on, on it's nearly all web-based now because most of the publications on the web and looking at sort of how and where and examples of what's actually happening in different jurisdictions and different industries and that's um it's amazing how much it, you know, when we first started doing three years ago, we thought we're never going to find enough once a week to write about it. But, you know, we we do about 4,000 words a week and I reckon we could probably do easily 8,000 and still only be cut, touching a, a, a tiny fraction of what's going on.
1: Yeah, um, it's amazing. You know, one of the things that that I found interesting about you, um, your background and one of the videos that you did uh, talked about is when I first entered blockchain, which was in t- 2017. I very quickly got involved in a loyalty project and yeah. we didn't, we didn't succeed. Um, but you know, the, the loyalty rewards points as an industry right now in traditional finance is over $200 billion industry. Yeah. So, you know, what's your take on the current loyalty rewards points industry and then the sustainability potential of a crypto entry into the sector? Now please take it into account. There have been several efforts, including when I was on in the last few years that have failed, meaning it sounds like a logical and easy space for crypto to enter um, the space, but the practical adoption and operational viability is a very different story. So how do you see the entry and how do you see widespread adoption playing out? Okay.
2: So I think what was very significant was um, last year when you saw JP Morgan, um, biggest bank in the world outside of China, and they actually um, started getting involved in the loyalty market because they saw that the American Airlines loyalty scheme was worth more than the equity of American Airlines. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. The loyalty scheme worth more than the airline that's actually been given out these loyalty schemes. Um, And therefore, I think what we're going to see is look, loyalty schemes have been around for many, many years, and and they rely on um, an economic principle called nudge economics. So all of your listeners um, will be exposed to this because those that go in a car, they have a seatbelt. So they're nudged to put their seatbelt on so that actually it's safer when they're driving. Most people in most countries, they don't have one refuge bin, one dustbin. They have two or three, one for garbage and trash, one for recycling. So they're being nudged, encouraged to change their behavior. And in the same way with loyalty schemes, what we've seen to date is big corporations arguably have fought shy of loyalty schemes because they've got your data they've got your information for free and if you look at the fangs the facebook apples alphabet i google you know those sorts of companies they've got your information your buying habits and they haven't had to pay for it and now what we're seeing is more and more and i believe this is one of the key things that we're going to see certainly with digital assets is that it's going to enable individuals to start monetizing their data so whether it's your spending habits whether it's your your car journeys your travel journeys whether it's the homes and the offices that you live and work in all of that is producing data and people want that data because then it helps them to run more efficient businesses and so i think that what we're going to see despite some of the efforts and companies that have failed in this sector i see that rewarding people via loyalty schemes uh, via encouragement through nudge economics is going to be a very very powerful tool and it could well signal the the increase in terms of the power for the individuals over their data and a decrease from you know some of the big tech companies that we've seen to date who basically have hoovered up all your data and most people haven't realized it now to give you a practical example sc johnson you know very successful us company the people that make glade air fresheners cherry blossom boot polish they actually wanted to do something for society they wanted to actually do something about the millions of plastic bottles and 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 pollution that arguably some of their products had made so they set up a a scheme in conjunction with a company called plastic bank and this is a charity and they said look what we want to do is encourage people to pick up and recycle plastic and uh, plastic Bank said, well that's what we do we just need some money so the, the way it originally started off is that, um, you know, they were just being given individuals, you know, young children and typically non-working ladies were, were given money for, you know, bags of plastic. What they realized is that money wasn't always being used in perhaps the ways that S.C. Johnson had necessarily intended, because maybe dad came home, gave the kids a flick around the ear and went back down the local bar. So they said, well, most of these people seem to have phones. Why don't we give them some sort of digital sort of reward, some sort of like an air mile? um and for your older listeners here in the uk maybe a green shield stamp I, I you know and for some people that sort of you know go to starbucks and other coffee houses, like you get a bit of paper and then they literally stamp on there and say okay on your 10th coffee you get a free coffee well so what they started doing was actually giving people um the, these loyalty points these credits which then could be swapped for food um pharmaceutical drugs clothes books that sort of thing So what they've done is managed now to recycle and pick up 8000 tons of plastic in places like Malaysia, Indonesia, Egypt and recycling that plastic. And they've encouraged local people in their communities to clean up their villages, clean up their beaches. So it's a real win win. And because of that, they can also say SC Johnson, that is their shareholders. We are doing something positive to impact on the environment to mitigate that some of our plastics that we produce Um, you know, maybe polluting, but we're going to encourage people to pick up those plastics and do something about it. And this is becoming an increasing topic. And probably the second thing that people ask when it's coming to invest their money, okay, how much are you going to make? How are you going to make it? What are your ESG credentials, the environmental, social, corporate governance? What are you doing about your suppliers and for your staff to make sure your business is sustainable without being harmful to the environment, so that, so that's where I see ESG and loyalty programs and digital remuneration all coming together, and therefore creating a very successful environment. As opposed to perhaps three or four years ago, you were sort of ESG wasn't as big a topic. Um, we didn't have the sophistication and the infrastructure that we now have in the digital space, and and this whole area is now come together, and I think we're going to see more and more of this. Um, coming forward and then you've got the big players as i mentioned earlier with like jp morgan who've come in and, and said this is an area that we actually want to try and monetize and we're, we're going to put hard cash behind it
1: i wrote and published a book back in october called regeneration x and i talked about plastic bank and i talked about esg but i did not combine them with reward points that's a really interesting you know take and concept on it
2: yeah yeah very much so and there's well there's another company which is um it's a startup out of canada um super interesting it's called blood flow um and what they're doing is inc- incredibly um something like about 10 to 15 percent of people that make an appointment to give blood don't turn up so you know you could be talking in, in the us there's something like 2.3 million blood donors so if 10 percent don't turn up you know you can do the math 200 Two hundred and fifty thousand appointments two hundred fifty thousand units of blood. well each unit of blood gets sold for around about two hundred dollars so they're selling it to pharmaceutical companies, hospitals and the like. now if they could get more people to turn up they would generate more revenue, which means they could actually advertise a market to actually attract more donors and therefore We could go and start solving the problems of a lack of blood and a lack of plasma in the world in the world so what they're looking at doing is using nudge economics incentivization you know giving some sort of credits you know it's all gamification but you can now do it in a much easier and simpler way so they're actually looking at creating a a system and a process almost like a software as a service for blood donation agencies to say, we'll help you make your business more efficient and we'll help encourage greater engagement with individuals and we'll, we'll, we'll give them little tokens and, and creations. So you can have a situation whereby, um, and this isn't necessarily the case, but let's just stick with the Canadian theme for a moment. You've got um, obviously Shopify, one of the it, it is the biggest company now in Canada by market cap. They may turn around and say, look, we're going to give um, $25,000 and we're going to give it to our staff as an incentive to go and give blood. So the first thousand staff, they get twenty five dollars worth of gift vouchers to use on the Shopify site. So bing tick box ESG, they can put in their report and accounts. We have donated twenty five thousand pounds to the Canadian Blood Donation Agency or whatever it's called. Um, I'm I'm not saying they're doing this. I'm simply giving that as an example. And you could replicate that as an example globally um, in every jurisdiction. You know, local companies trying to incentivize staff or maybe their customers to give blood. And what better ESG product is out there than giving blood to your fellow human? The the trouble is, is these blood donation agencies historically have relied on telephones. But, you know, my, my kids are in their late 20s. Unless they recognize your phone number, they won't pick it up. So you've got to find a different way to reach tomorrow's donors and so what they're doing with blood flow as an example i give a pint of blood or a unit of blood and then it says johnny your unit of blood was used for a a, a little girl who unfortunately had a car accident you know in london or it was used for an old old man that perhaps had a hip operation um in glasgow so so i can then say oh wow i don't need to know the name of the individual but i can say great i can see my unit of blood was used to help save someone's life or help help them in their time of need so again it's another way of giving transparency which is what blockchain is so so good at giving that transparency therefore creating much much greater trust and then an incentive to do more so so that you can see how they're kind of linked in and that's nothing to do with financial services
1: right so you mentioned a few things that i found very interesting there one was health one was looking at other countries and one was blockchain so if I look at the March 10 2021 digital bytes newsletter and in particular you had an article about COVID 19 blockchains offer greater transparency. What role will blockchain play in enabling vaccinated people to conduct commerce and travel within and you know you live in Europe so within and outside of europe Well, we've got this we got this you know we got this crazy
2: situation at the moment that you know because of brexit um a lot of the trust is breaking down in terms of trade um you know and we we're, we're not importing what we used to from europe europe's not actually importing a lot of what um they used to from from the uk because of bureaucracy and a lack of trust in terms of systems you now stick on top of that a situation whereby um you've got a third wave um breaking out and here we are the 16th of march breaking out in um, in italy and th- and they've been ravaged by covid italy is a major tourist destination um who's going to want to go to italy until they got the cells sorted out you know the uk has won't been hit one of the hardest of all countries in terms of number of deaths now luckily we're in a situation where the uk government took a bit of a risk and they started ordering vaccinations um and turned out those vaccinations are are, are good and they work and now we've got a situation whereby in the uk um around about 40 45% of the adult population is vaccinated so if you're sitting there and you're someone like spain or greece or italy or france which are major destinations for holidaymakers are you going to say you want to have italians in your country who at the moment are going through a third wave and had relatively few people vaccinated or do you want um you know someone from another country that can hold up um, an identification and say i've been vaccinated and they therefore i'm safe to come into your country and so there's a lot of there's a lot of anti-identification um, that's going on at the moment. I. Why should you know anything about me? My identity is is sacrosanct. Well, that's very much a UK thing. Most countries in the world have a form of ID and therefore using it and saying all you need to know is my name is Johnny Fry. Here's my biometric information, either for a fingerprint or an iris print or some other way to prove me. And I have fortunately I've had one vaccination and by. You know june i'll had both vaccinations so by the end of june in theory i should be much safer to come into your country than someone that hasn't and you know if you travel to many parts of africa you're not allowed into the country unless you can prove you've had a vaccination against yellow fever now i'm I'm a guy in his mid-50s and i can remember traveling around the world and i had a vaccination card and there was hepatitis and there was yellow fever and there was tuberculosis you had to prove that you'd had the necessary vaccinations and boosters and immunization now all that has sort of gone away but i think that it is very much going to come back and we've seen the international chamber of commerce team up with um sos international and that they're actually working on a on a program where essentially you'll just show a qr code and you'll be able to prove you know have you been tested negative or positive in the last say 72 hours and it'll be very easy then to say have you been vaccinated and, and that's so it's called um um, aok pass this app and it's out there at the moment and the catalan blockchain association they've been working very closely with the city of girona and they're actually enabling that city to get back onto its feet and say we're only going to allow people into football stadiums into the theater into restaurants that can prove that they're not going to infect fellow diners fellow football fans and and I, i appreciate that creates a degree of exclusivity but by doing nothing and saying, "Oh well, no, we, we you know, we, we, we just hope that it'll be okay." Unfortunately, that hope proves to be fairly shallow, as we're seeing with the second and third wave of of, of this terrible, terrible pandemic sweeping many, many countries.
1: Uh, you know, it's interesting because back in two thousand four, I backpacked across Southeast Asia and China, and wherever, and it was like seven countries, in nine, nine countries, and I had to show that yellow card wherever i went so it's interesting that you brought that up in the same article you had a a a quote by anna buteshi associate professor of law at the university of exeter who said the introduction of vaccine passports poses an essential questions for the protection of data privacy and human rights from the perspective of ethics and personal freedom How will the use of blockchain technology improve equitable opportunities for regular citizens after these waves are done and we're living in a post-COVID world?
2: Well, one of the great things about um, blockchain technology um, is that you can um, you can basically mask some of the information. So what I mean by that is that you can actually um, hash the details. So for the sort of non people that aren't necessarily familiar with that, what we actually have is an ability whereby you can actually say, "Okay, this is Johnny Fry. um, Or no, this is a this is a white Caucasian who lives in the UK or lives in Europe um, and he drives this sort of car. He spends this sort of money on these sorts of sites. You don't need to know um, my name. You don't need to know my address. You probably want to know the sort of things, the publications that I read you probably like an indication of my age, my sex, my ethnicity. So you can have a a general picture of of this person, Johnny Fry. But you don't need to have my personal details. And that's possible by effectively hashing the information. So you you can get non-personalized information, but information which could be really valuable for a marketing company. Say, look, you really ought to be putting an advert. If you want to get hold of someone like Johnny Fry, um, you you want to be advertising at the forthcoming World Cup rugby in in france in 2030 or he he really loves um ba- basketball or he's really into formula one motor racing or NASCAR racing and these are the places if you're after that sort of person that's where you need to pr- put your marketing spend but you don't if you try and get hold of my email address and start cold calling me and sending me emails and things like that I'm i'm probably not going to respond in any case and that would be actually be illegal now so blockchain has the ability to take data and keep it very very secure you know it's it's using military grade cryptography so the information can be held very very securely and then it can be shared on a permission basis so i can agree to share my information who i want with so if we take for example um you know in the hr field you've now got applications whereby i can i'm coming for a job um with you jamal and i can say okay here's my here's my cv and i can give you my cv in a in a digital format and when i've got a job elsewhere i can withdraw my um permission from you so you can no longer have access to my details and my information so again it's going back to what i said before when we were talking about loyalty schemes and nudge economics it's empowering the individual i can share with who when and how i like my information and so i think that we do in the uk we are wrapped up with this whole thing of privacy and saying, well, we've got to, um, you know, it's wrong that you have a form of identification. You need to be able to remain independent and anonymous. And at one level, I do have sympathy with that. But at another level, um, you can't deny that the more authoritarian structure that we've seen in China, you know, they managed to jump on top of COVID-19, lock it down by saying, you are not allowed out of your house. You've got to stay there. And it's interesting, if you go back to where does the word quarantine come from? And it comes back from the Middle Ages, when we actually saw the bubonic plague, the Black plague coming down from northern Europe and sweeping through Germany and France. And the the Florentines, they actually posted out guards around the city of Florence and said, you're not allowed into Florence unless you've got some form of health identification. Yes, back in... Back in the sort of 1390s they had that sort of information they, you had to have that information and when you were allowed in you then had to quarantine i 40 days and 40 nights stay in the building now florence had a mortality rate of something like 16 percent milan who didn't bother their mortality rate was six zero percent so we have this conundrum of individual freedom and if you like bureaucratic and autocratic control, and you being structured what you can and cannot do, but I have to be honest, my daughter who lives in Sydney, um, I wasn't able to see her this Christmas. I want to go and see her next Christmas. Do I really want to get on a plane for the best part of you know thirty hours and be concerned that someone next to me, behind me, or in front of me is coughing away? And it maybe it's maybe it's just something stuck in his throat, or maybe they've actually got COVID. So I'd like the airlines to actually ensure that the people on that plane haven't got COVID, ideally have been vaccinated, and therefore it's a, it's a better, it's a lower risk. Alternatively, I get on a plane, they haven't checked, I die, what does my employer, do, do my estate then sue the airline saying you didn't take reasonable care to protect people on your plane? And I think these are some of the challenges we haven't got answers to, but we're going to have to start addressing. But blockchain can play a very vital role because it's, it's a solution, not bits of paper that can be forged, but a digital way, a way you can actually say with a QR code, it gets scanned. Yes, the owner of that QR code actually has been vaccinated or has been tested negative in the last 72 hours, therefore should in theory be safe.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, another... I, I want to shift to another article, um, but you said on board, you know, talking about planes and being on board. Uh, one of the other articles talking about being on board is is State Street finally sails or flies or sails into the land of crypto. It discusses that, you know, State Street will offer administrative services. Um, and we knew the banks across the world, we knew they they would get on board in just a matter of time, right? And it's a matter of time that Wall Street got on board. But when, when like, you and i who want to travel around the world or you know who are work like me main street most people working on main street not wall street or banks how would how would they come on board um for crypto and blockchain well
2: okay so we 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 put a very small post um out on um linkedin um and within four days and and it, it basically said uh, as as you referred to there you know um, State Street sailed into the land of crypto. And the reason we use the word sail was because for those who are familiar with State Street, um, part of their logo is is a picture of an old sailing ship um, on the high seas. And so it was a little, little bit tongue in cheek. Um, but we actually had 33,000 people in four business days look at that particular article. And we, we thought that was quite a lot. Um, and then when we started analysing and looking at who had looked at it, um you know just reading from the from the top you've got ernst young hsbc city pwc jp morgan Deloitte, wells fargo goldman sachs morgan stanley i wall street is paying attention and this is you know from new york london toronto mumbai chicago and um, Belaru in india san francisco new delhi in india um boston and so we're seeing actually on a global basis people are paying attention now we've seen with financial services companies and i would argue now it's almost a matter of who isn't engaged with blockchain or digital assets in the financial services sector but to answer your question in terms of how does the how do the men and women on on main street get involved well i'd argue that that they already are to a great extent um and and i would i would g- give as, as an example of that um goldman sachs did a survey of um th- their clients and They actually found that 40% of their clients already had exposure to cryptocurrencies and 64% intended to increase it. We have companies like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, all these companies now you can actually put your crypto onto your debit card and you can spend it any one of the outlets that take those different places. And I mentioned earlier on, you know, the likes of PayPal, um, which is, you know, Three times the market capitalization of someone like Goldman Sachs or IBM. And these payment methods, these payment platforms, which have very much embraced digital assets now, they're, they're actually much, much bigger than um, many of the banks that more people are familiar with. And I think what we're seeing is a gentle encouragement behind the scenes of governments for these payment platforms to be ready for central bank digital currencies. Now, we've already seen one in China. Um, and I believe that um, within the next eighteen months, we will see one um, either in the US, UK, or in Europe. And the reason for this is that interest rates um, are obviously very, very low, and they're getting to a situation whereby even for smaller um, men and lady on the high street, they will put a hundred pounds, a hundred dollars, a hundred yen, a hundred euros into their bank account, and this time next year, they might only get back ninety nine. Cents, pence, euros. So they're going to see negative interest rates, and governments have historically controlled their economy when they want to slow it down. They've put interest rates up. When they want to give it a boost, they've cut interest rates. They can no longer cut interest rates. They're they're already zero in many, many places. And so, therefore, how do you encourage people to spend? Well, what you do, you resort to helicopter economics, which is what we've seen with the Biden administration, where they're giving a $1,400 per person and spending 2 trillion dollars but the trouble is we've already seen what's happened once according to the bank of america um americans are now sitting on something like 1.6 trillion dollars worth of cash which they're going to spend because anyone that has been working or not financially impaired by covid over the last year they haven't been able to go on holiday they haven't actually been going out you know the americans love eating out they haven't been going out as much as they have done haven't been going to the theater and cinema and things like that and they've just been accumulating cash so many many citizens it's certainly in the western world if they've had a job they've just piled up loads and loads of cash so why is biden in this administration giving people who've already got loads of cash more cash if they had a digital currency they would be able to target that cash and say anyone that um has less than five thousand dollars in their bank account bang we'll give them some money and what we're seeing is money with um with restrictions or with conditions. So what's happened in China in order to start getting their digital currency being used they've said we're going to give you and they've done this four or five times now we're going to give you 50 the equivalent of i think it's th- 30 dollars um and you've got to use that money within 10 days and you can only use it in the following merchants the following outlets. Mm. So they're actually restricting where you can use it and how you can use it. So in digital bytes a couple of weeks ago we had um a, a a gentleman actually write an article, Dr. Stephen Castell, and what he's trying to encourage the UK government to do is to create a a digital currency that can only be spent on social housing. So the Bank of England would issue this this coin and give it to you on the basis you can only use it if it's to build or if it's to rent or it's to renovate social property. So very very targeted money. And so what we see with digital currencies, it gives a whole new tool. To central banks to be able to control their economy and if we suddenly find inflation creeping back um, into the economy because there's so much money flooding around well all they've got to do is actually then start a little bit like ethereum they'll just put a transaction fee in there so that'll dissuade you from spending your money and slow down the pace of money because you know instead of going and buying a coffee for say three bucks it's actually gonna cost you three bucks plus a transaction fee which pushes up to three and a half bucks so it might make you stop so they so it gives them much better control it also gives them much much better control over the shadow economy which is prevalent in many many countries um right. across the world so they they've got a much better idea of what's being spent by who by when now again we're going back to this more authoritarian style of sort of governance and um, but i think what this is going to lead to though is we're going to see more corporate companies also issuing their own digital payments we've seen facebook try and so far fail But my belief is, is that what we're going to see is corporates issuing their own stable coins, their own digital currencies, because it's much, much cheaper to move money around their own ecosystems. These are global corporations. They're bigger than some countries and they're able to move money around much more effectively. And all this is doing is history repeating itself, because if you go back to 1863, you saw the Fed was created because at that time there were eight thousand different types of dollars. And the Fed said, this has got out of control. We don't know which one's wrong, which one's right, which one's a fake, which one's a forgery. And they said, no, there's only one US dollar backed by the Fed. But perversely, I wouldn't be surprised if we see um, you know, multinational corporations like Tencent Alibaba in, in China, or you may see, you know, Apple, or you may see, you know, Google actually come out with a and say, okay, we'll pay you, we'll award you um in a coin and you can trust us because actually we we've got real assets we're not in debt up to our neck like the governments are so it it is a huge dilemma here for the governments that they've got to try and keep control over their economy and got to keep control over their currency but if they're not careful it's going to be taken away from them which is why i think you're going to see many many more central bank digital currencies which to answer the question a very long way i think for
1: coming to main street it's not that far away yeah i can see that i can see the multinationals offering something um digital currency that's Yeah. I expect that too. Um, Well, thank you very much today. It's been a, it's been fascinating conversation. I'm honored that you were on the podcast today. Um, Hopefully I can have you again on the soon um, as a guest. Uh, Thank you. How can, how can our listeners uh, learn, learn more about you or contact you?
2: The best bet. Look at, look, look up um, Johnny Fry, J O N N Y Fry on LinkedIn. um, And then, there's emails and phone numbers and all sorts of details. Um, and if anyone's interested, um, just um, they can contact, either in contact Irish um, Tech News, contact yourself or, or or contact me through LinkedIn and we'll send them a copy of, um, you know, the latest Digital Bytes. And in Digital Bytes every week, the sort of subjects that are, we've talked about this afternoon, that's what we address. We're looking at some of these topics and showing examples um, with case studies of um, some of the implications. You know, this this week, we're looking at non-fungible tokens and and we pose the question um you know a pandora's box of goodies to play with or is it a pot of gold for litigators right
1: nfcs are, are are definitely a hot topic um thank you very much for your time and and um thank you thank you very much indeed
0: And now, a word from our sponsor, Agorapulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agorapulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash Irish technique news to get one month free now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours thank you for listening to the latest irish tech news podcast check back every day for the latest episode you can follow us on twitter at irish underscore tech news on facebook